So that brings up sort of an existential debate of should switch surfing be scored higher than, you know, people surfing in their normal stance. Welcome back to The Drop. This is Michael Saramella, and I am still kind of on this Tahiti high right now. The event just ended yesterday. The waves might have underwhelmed a little bit, but they made up for it with just the sheer action and drama of this event. So many moments, so many things happened. Wild cards, Kelly Slater, top five, this, that, everything in between. So first things first, we're going to go straight into a chat with Stacey G and myself talking about everything that we saw happen at Chopo this week. Then Buckley is going to come on and we're going to talk about everything else that happened this week in surfing. Sound good? Cool. Let's do it. Well, that was the kind of competition I wish went for another day. I just wish that final never ended. The Goofy Footers just had such a nice couple of days in the South Pacific getting very barreled. None of them really looked like they broke too much of a sweat. Where do we begin here? We obviously just kind of mentioned the final, so why don't we say who won? That is, of course, Miguel Pupo, who got his first CT win in 11 years, and Courtney Conlog, who looked almost more comfortable out there than any of the guys somehow like she was just like giddy and giggling the entire time so um yeah well deserved to both of them definitely i love courtney's choice of uh headwear um not last year but the year before in margaret river um she had football headwear on like it was a proper helmet that you would wear playing australian rugby league uh, the, it was even a football brand, and uh, to see the uh, the yellow bucket that she was donning in Tahiti was even one step up. So, yeah, she's definitely got heavy water fashion absolutely nailed. And it's crazy too if you there's a photo that we put in our competition wrap for the final day, where she's in this barrel, she's locked in. Um, amazing pig dog technique, by the way, and she, the helmet's basically over her eyes. Like, it's all feel at this point. So, um, yeah, she definitely has some sort of connection there. And she, like I just kind of alluded to, she went into this event with some, like, skills already in backside tube riding. It's very clear just the way that she was approaching the wave and using her body, whereas a lot of women, it felt like, were really just trying to figure it out as they went. Yeah, definitely. Um and I think, yeah, it's one of those situations where th- there's no, there's no other way uh, around it. The, the, it's only what I mean by that is you know, backdoor some of the some of the natural footers. Steph Gilmore, for example, they can pick off a ten point ride going right and and not even look at the left. But Tahiti at that size, it's it's lefts only, and uh, yeah, I guess some work to be done there in the backside barrel riding department for some of the women because. That's sort of, you know, cloud break, they were never really getting too barreled. It was always big in turns. And then the end of the wave pull, I know probably people will laugh at that, but that's a pretty technical little left barrel or backside barrel for, for the natural footers. And Well, so like on Steph, I on their finals day, right, she had this wave where it was a pretty darn good wave and she was trying her absolute best. You could tell she was trying really hard to slow down. And she just didn't have the technique for like the butt dragging that you need to stop yourself going backside. And I like, first of all, I empathize with that because 
that is something that I tried to do for so long and just could not figure it out. Like no matter how I leaned or what part of my body I put in the water, I would just like basically end up skipping and and not slowing myself down at all. And it looked like that was what she was going through. Um, But it does raise the question. It's like, is the event the place to figure that out? You know what I mean? Like she's obviously been a pro surfer for ever. She's won seven world titles. She's never really, to your point, had to figure this out in order to win world titles. Like, yeah, I don't know. First of all, is there a level of like, yeah, they probably should have put some work in on the front half. And then also, if you are Steph Gilmore in particular, where, you know, you've already won seven world titles, you've stated that you want to win more, but you're also sort of like at that point in your career where it could go either way. Is it worth her going and investing a lot of time into this? Or should she just be like, yeah, you know what? I have a weakness in this part of my game, but it's fine. I've gotten this far without it. I think a bit of column A, a bit of column B, definitely, you know, gone on this far that it hasn't mattered at all. Um, being how talented she is, she would always find a way out of a sticky situation if, if it meant, you know, getting a score going perhaps an inferior right at, at a break where the lefts are better. Uh, I could think of probably a thousand times she's had to do that. Um, but I definitely think she does still want to get better. Like her, her backhand has gotten 10 times better pretty much ever since the wave pool event came on because obviously you had to count a score there going left. So I think that was a spot for Steph and even Tyler to a degree to really work out the nuances of backside surfing. And then who doesn't want to get barreled? So I think, you know, with that in mind, I think she still will keep chipping away at trying to get better. Roxy actually did a trip to Tahiti before the event. So, you know, they're keen to invest as well. So she's on a good brand there. And, yeah, I can't see why she wouldn't nice. get any better. Nice, working the company line in there. Love it. Um, so speaking of Roxy. <laughs> Absolutely not. No, a lot of people get that confused. Two separate companies, two separate payrolls. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> so uh, we talk about Roxy, and we obviously we can't look past Vahine Fierro, who looked like an absolute lock to, if not make the finals, then just straight up win the event. And I personally, like, I had $50 on her to win and $50 on Tati to win. Rolling into the semis, I was feeling so good. I was like, oh, they're both going to win their semis. I'm going to be in the final laughing, uh, basically making money no matter what. And then we get to the semis, and the wind just goes straight on shore, and it turns into basically a, a turn fest. That was pretty devastating. Yeah, you, you would have been feeling very, very, very good. At that point in the event, I did not think it was going to be two natural footers in the final for the women. They were doing a great job, Breezer and Courtney, but I just thought that the the goofy footers just had the, a massive advantage of just positioning and, and um, you know, how they were attacking the waves. So, yeah, I felt for you on that, my, my Mikey. And then yeah, you even had Kelly on the men's side looking pretty good. Um, but yeah, not to be, Oh, that's uh, a big, big final day. Yeah. We'll get to Kelly in a little bit. Um, but also on the sort of progressing in the moment theme, I wanted to bring up Brisa Hennessy, who she actually throughout the event, um, she got two of the better barrels for the women and the second one in particular, like it really looked like she was just reacting. You know what I mean? Like it, she, it, she found this sucky little inside ledge thing she got sort of stuck and then she took this drop and her body was all out of sorts, but then she just like figured it out. And I just want to commend her on that because, you know, it's clear she doesn't have a lot of experience surfing 
backside tubes like that, which I guess was surprising to me because of how much time she spent in Tavarua, or not Tavarua, I guess it's Nomotu, but in Fiji and around Cloudbreak and restaurants and all that. But yeah, she, she didn't look comfortable at all, but she was really pushing it. And that was the only way that she got past Lakey Peterson, basically, to get that fifth spot going into lowers. So on that point, I just want to drop it in right here. The final five women in order will be Brisa Hennessy and Steph Gilmore in the first heat. Then they'll be facing Tatiana Weston-Webb, then Joanne DeFay, and then, of course, Carissa Moore will be the final boss. Who you got? Is it too early to make a prediction? I know we'll do another episode, but um, might as well. No, it's way too early. With that, do you have anything else on the women that you'd like to chat about, or should we just slide on into the men's? I think we can just go straight on into the men, Mikey. All right. Well, there are so many different people and moments and things that I want to talk about, so I don't really know where to start, but I guess I'm just going to start with the person to me who was sort of the standout of the whole thing, and that was Kauli Vast, obviously local wildcard. And what he did to Kelly Slater yesterday... I don't have the full stats on this. I don't know how I'm going to find them because I'd have to go through like 30 years of heat data, but that's got to be Kelly Slater's worst mathematical loss of all time, right? Oh, you'd have to think so. I knew you were going to bring up some stat like this, and as I was watching it, I was trying to think of something to defend the GOAT. Um, but yeah, Tahiti's a wave that could do that to you because at that point, he's not no point in him getting any higher of a heat total unless it's going to be the number that goes all the way over the top of the combo. So yeah... Tens or twos for Kelly on that day, and it was obviously the uh, the latter. Yes, it, it certainly was. And adding a, a bit of insult to injury was Kauli's switch barrel, which of course was you know three times, four times higher than any wave that Kelly caught in that heat, and also just an incredible display of surfing ability. When that score came through, Pete Mel was a bit offended. He thought that it should have gone excellent. So that brings up sort of an existential debate of should switch surfing be scored higher than, you know, people surfing in their normal stance? And I feel a little bit conflicted about this. What do you think, Stacey? Yeah, it really depends on uh, what uh, what side of the bed I get out of in the morning. My first train of thought on it is you got to, are we comparing a goofy foot of surfing switch or is this a backside tube riding display no matter what your favorite stance is um and if you're comparing it to you know the last version then there, there really is no comparison there's no way that can be a bigger score than what someone's doing as a natural footer who is surfing as a natural footer yes it is going to get very existential so just because it's harder for the goofy footer it doesn't make it better than what the natural footer was doing Agreed. Yeah. And I know that, you know, in other sports and skating and snowboarding and stuff, they do, I believe, score it a little bit higher. Like it's for some tricks, it's considered, you know, more difficult doing something switch and therefore you get more points for it. In surfing, for whatever reason, I can't get it out of my mind that it's like a little bit gimmicky. And then I also wonder, like, if judges do start scoring higher on that, then just naturally people are going to start to gamify that a bit. You know what I mean? So if you need a nine at the end of your heat and you a wave comes through that you know is a max six but you surf at switch it's like can you get the score then like i don't know it feels a little bit gimmicky to me but at the same time it's like incredible what kauli did and also one of the commenters on our site i think it was undergunned mentioned that um you know he thought that basically kauli did that so that people 
couldn't even have that talking point of like, oh, it's so hard backside out there. You know what I mean? Because he's obviously getting all these inside runners, eights and nines and stuff on, on that inside ledge going front side, just weaving through every tube and making it look super easy. So it would be, you know, it would be pretty easy to just say, oh, yeah, it's because he's front side. But I think to Undergun's point, doing that backside just sort of shuts up that entire line of thought. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It, it, it certainly uh, leaves an interesting, you know, thought in the judge's mind. Like, if it was a close heat, there would be the craziest, craziest debate. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I, you'd be able to wrap it up in less than half an hour because there'd be so many different trains of thought. Um, but yeah, I, I'm kind of with you. I, I don't know that it looks supernatural. And even in longboarding, they score switch higher. Like Honolulu Bloomfield can go left and right uh, front side both ways so yeah i don't know i'm with you though so anyway that was a fascinating semi-final the total the end score was 17.33 to 1.17 so that's why we're saying probably kelly's biggest mathematical loss of all time and and i don't even think kelly knew that Cully went switch i don't know how he would have known in the heat so do you think that that was like a bit of a like an ego rub for kelly when he found out that Cully did that um, no, but it's, it's very Kelly, like, to have something done like that to him, whether it's intentional or not. I think Coley was just having fun at that point, but, yeah, I, I feel like that's something Kelly would do. So, yeah, I, I feel like he would be very well aware of that and it not being too favorable on his behalf. All right. So, speaking of really, really low heat scores, there were two other heats that stand out to me. One is actually Kelly's first heat of the event against uh, Nathan Hedge and Felipe Toledo. Felipe was about a minute away from posting another zero-point heat score at Chopes. He pulled back on, you know, one of the heavier waves of the heat and definitely got those thoughts stirring in your mind of like, man, like I just, you know, it's it's almost crazy to me that, that that continues to happen when he, just how much criticism he has faced. Like, you'd think that he would just be so sick of hearing it that he'd just be like, fuck this, like, at least jump off of something, right? Mm. Like Jacko Baker style. No, you're right. It, it was one of those things, that, and I've said it sort of earlier here, like, I don't care that he doesn't win pipe. I don't care that he doesn't win chokes. I just think he's so good on the face that he, you know, he can be, he can be my world champ. But I don't... I don't have that same feeling after watching the event. I'm like, fuck, you've really got to swing and go. Because then the waves get real. It just it just opens up another breed of surfer. And if, you know, you, to be world champ, you've got to be able to do it all. It's green room times, but I have a very interesting post. It was sort of um, pretend it's a normal year and or somewhat normal. And Tahiti's the second last event and Pipe is left and Robbo's 5,000 points behind Philippe. Like... Who, who are you going wow, for? Wow, so you fully you flip-flopped. Now you're saying that, like, to you, Felipe's less deserving. Mm, I okay. have. Wow. I, I just, after watching Robbo, I just can't, like, I know Philippe on the face is incredible, but if I've got to pick one thing that I love watching, it's dudes getting very barreled and Robbo gets very barreled. So waves of truth really speaking to you Stace that's beautiful what do you reckon I've flip-flopped but I just can't I can't I can't ignore the feeling gotta go with I it. don't know so I find that like when I really think about it that I'm so affected by the last thing that I saw and I think that's a pretty human thing but like imagine if you know pipe and chopes imagine if chopes was in the the first half of the season right we wouldn't even be talking about this like we would have just seen 
Bay and El Salvador and Brazil and Felipe would be front of mind as clearly the best surfer in the world. And yeah, so I, I don't want to get too caught up in like the, the, this just happened, so it's the most important thing. But at the same time, it is like, come on, man. I mean, granted, we have to give him credit. He did somewhat redeem himself in his next heat against Nathan Hedge. He put up two sevens at the very least. But on the same side, he didn't ever look like he was like even thinking about winning that heat somehow like he was like doing it because like just out of obligation if that makes sense but it didn't look like he was like hungry to go out there and beat nathan hedge yeah or you know and maybe you could say he didn't want to you know it was his turn to go and when it was it was a wave that he didn't want to be a part of because he's got to try and win a world title in two weeks and maybe that thought's going through his head as well but it'd certainly be a big statement if you beat hog and kelly in your first heat at that event it'd just it'd have to give you a lot of confidence going into you know any event moving forward and also like i mean i know that people try to pretend or say that it doesn't bother them but like it would just shut up the naysayers right it would take away everybody's ammo who wants to say like oh a world title is not legitimate you know one because of this new system and two because if you can't surf waves of truth then you're not the best surfer in the world so I think that like he just did himself a disservice. Like I would, I just wish he would have just gone. If he just would have jumped off that one wave, every we wouldn't even be talking about any of this. You know what I mean? And it's it's just a shame because there is a good chance that he's going to win. And part of me really, really wants him to win. Like I think he should be a world champion. He's such an incredible surfer. But it just it's hard to reconcile the fact that when push comes to shove, like he just doesn't want a piece of these waves. Yep, agreed. Um, speaking of the other low total, I didn't get to see that heat, but it, it doesn't surprise me. Like it can happen out in Tahiti where it just, the, the waves don't come your way or you have one over the falls and that's kind of your heat. But what was going on with Jake Marshall and Callum Robson? That just seems, seemed a bit strange. Yeah. So that heat, um, they definitely didn't have great conditions. The wind was a little bit onshore and, you know, there wasn't too much going on. But that said, like, there were waves. The people that were in the heat alongside them were getting little scores. And, uh, yeah, they were just picking really bad waves, ultimately. And Callum, at the end, needed, I think, literally a 0.68 to advance. And he didn't even, like, really change his strategy. Like, he didn't move inside or over until the last 30 seconds, at which point Jake Marshall obviously came over and sat on him. But, he, yeah, he all he had to do is basically take off on a wave and... Obviously, I don't think Callum is scared to take off on a wave, but that just seemed like a bit of a brain fart. And it actually cost him the rookie of the year, which he seemed like a lock for. But Samuel Poupeau came out of nowhere in the back half and, um, yeah, just ripped it out from under him. By the way, Samuel Poupeau, like, secret backside tube Jedi, no hands, like, out of nowhere. Um, uh, Yeah, so well done to Samuel Poupeau, rookie of the year. That's sick. I, um... I definitely think either one of those two would have been well-deserving. Um, but, gee, that's got to hurt, not losing it by that much. That Speaking of records, that might have to be one of the lowest heat totals combined I'd ever seen. Oh, actually, hold on. Hold the phone. I just pulled up the stat sheet. Samuel Poupeau and Callum Robson are tied at 10th with 33,230 points. I was mistaken. I thought I heard on the... On the webcast that Samuel won Rookie of the Year, but they have the exact same totals, and I don't know what the countback is, but they both have a second place. 
You go off the you count back goes off your final result and dropping the final result. So it actually um yeah, it's uh sometimes not in your favor to have like a big result and then little results. They actually in a count back situation which is like contradictory to the every other rule in the sport, they always favor the higher, you know, wave or higher seed or whatever but in this occasion if you're more mediocre it, it actually works out better um but in this case occasion they would drop the final counting result and then if that didn't split the tie they would then drop the next one and then the next one and the next one but i'd imagine they probably got the same results the whole way through they have the exact same results all year long like obviously not in the same events they have two fifths one second five ninths and a couple of 17th so it is it based on most recent results then stacy like because samuel did better at teahu po'o does that mean that he's the rookie of the year um surf off trestles i think that's what's gonna happen <laughs> okay so sorry we're we're trying to figure this out as we go but yeah the two rookies have the exact same score so I swear I heard in the webcast that Samuel Poupeau was the rookie of the year, but maybe I am missing something. Could be one of those situations where they just give it out twice. That would be cool. Both deserving. I'm not a fan of two winners of things, but if it has to be that way, I guess it has to be that way. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so how much money did you make out of that comp? Like 40 bucks? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I don't, yeah, I don't even want to talk about it. Yeah, basically, I spent three days or two days really like just so invested betting every single round most heats and was doing pretty pretty well like all things considered but when Tati, Bahine and Kelly all fell out of the semis I lost my ability to win big because at the end of the day like you can bet all these heats but it's the event winners that you pick early on and get really strong odds on that have the huge payoff. And uh, yeah, so I ended up, I think, making like $37 in this event, <laughs> putting a significant amount of time and energy into it. Gee whiz. Yeah, so um, I went through the ringer. And that's like $37, like that's with making fairly substantial bets. Like I'd say my average bet in a heat was around $40, right? So that's so many up and downs to get back to basically winning one heat, it being the end result. So um, yeah, I got pretty hard done by the that little onshore fluff that came in the semifinal. Uh-huh. That's what I'm blaming on. And I don't think anyone really saw Miguel coming. I think we're all fans of his surfing, but that was pretty, pretty special. And I kind of had this feeling that... Uh... You know, Carly was just going to be unstoppable, but um, he, he was certainly stopped in the end. Yeah, well, betonline.ag, that's obviously our partner and our, you know, betting source for everything Stab. They had Miguel at plus 200 to win the final. That was the original odds, and that means that basically they gave him two to one odds, which is like really strong for them, as in like he was the underdog, essentially. Carly was paying negative 300, which means that. In order to make $100, you would have had to spend 300 So Kalali was like the major, major favorite. And Miguel, of course, went on to win. So anybody who took him uh, won big. I actually didn't take him because by the time I went to make the bet on Miguel, 
the odds had changed and it had evened it out a lot more. And then I didn't really feel good about it because I thought Kalu was going to win. But yeah, Miguel Pupo, I was, you know, I was cheering for Jaddy. I was on the Jaddy train this whole event. Um, and I really wanted to see him go far. But, you know, I'm happy to see the 2007 ECSE Pro Junior Champ finally get his first CT win. It's a beautiful moment. Oh, it is a beautiful moment. Also, it made me think, do you think that part of this is Miguel sort of riding off of you know, Samuel's success because seeing his brother come on in his rookie year and make a final and be <laughs> tied for rookie of the year, like it's got to be pretty inspiring for him, right? Oh, definitely. Oh, for sure. And I also think too, it's it's it's, it's probably a, a thing within Miguel of like, he's been, you know, widely regarded as the most stylish surfer to ever come out of Brazil, but he hasn't had that competitive success that um, you know his other mates have had, and and those those lads that are having a success underneath him are, are a fair bit younger, so he'd be looking in the rearview mirror, going, "Man, like I need to start cracking these events because he's got the skill set. He's had a bunch of thirds at some amazing locations. So yeah, for him to finally get it, I think it's a bit of every everything just revving him up. He he said in his post interview that he'd been training harder than he's ever trained, and um, it, he's sort of feeling you know better than ever. So it wasn't wasn't just a roll up and get a few barrels he, he'd actually been yeah ripping and him. he did so well in that final too like like i said in the beginning of this podcast the waves just got so dreamy like perfect size they were just hugging that inside ledge and he was picking them beautifully getting super deep the reason that he won is because you know kalu was finding these perfect little drainers that sort of like hugged the reef and he was having to slow down inside of to stay in and Miguel was just going super deep driving through over foam balls through sections and the judges just sort of couldn't deny that more aggressive approach so well done to Miguel and on the point of stylish Brazilians I also again we're seeing a totally totally new Yago Dora this year he obviously missed the first half of the year with an injury but came back and I mean if he had surfed the way that he surfed through those last five events all through the year I think he'd be close to if not inside the final five well the year before he got injured this was kind of the trajectory that he was he was on you could see he was starting to bring his best surfing more often and often and you know I, I kind of feel like that we were. This was right there, and then unfortunately he got injured. Like he was definitely on fire. And now, like I mean, even that last heat that he surfed against Kelly, I think he won that heat. And I bet on Kelly as well. Like Kelly caught that last wave. He needed like a high seven, and my immediate thought was no chance he gets it because Yago had caught a really similar wave, and he got like a high seven. But Yago seemed deeper and just more impactful to me. Kelly's was, you know, it was a good wave for all intents and purposes but he was never on the phone ball phone ball there was nothing dramatic about it there was nothing in my mind that made that an excellent score kelly got it for one reason or another um but i think yako could have gone even deeper in that event which is crazy speaking of close scores what do you think of the uh, griffin final exchange oh that was brutal okay so yeah that was another one where I actually thought that, um, again, I had Yago in that heat. And it's crazy how betting skews your morals. Like, I 100% wanted Griffin in the final five over Italo, over Kanoa. Um, I thought that he deserved it more, and I thought that he would just be bring more entertainment value to that event and, you know, chance to potentially win the thing. But I had money on Yago to win, so of course I, you know, that part of me wanted Yago to win that heat, but... 
yeah, to me, I don't know. Griffin's wave, that nine that he got, was so good that it's hard for me to reconcile Yago beating him just because of the, the technical aspect of pumping backside, driving off the bottom, and through a section that deep. Yeah, I think Griffin actually could have won that heat. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I didn't think on paper his last wave was a five nine seven. I kind of had a pretty strong feeling that it was going to be well under. The wave was way too small, but... If you count, obviously, two waves, which we do, his nine, you're right, was incredible. Um, yeah, it's funny what the judges love sometimes. Like, you saw Conor O'Leary go really close to beating Kelly, I, and I didn't think that was going to be anywhere near that kind of score. Okay, so I actually have, well, one of our commenters actually has a really good thought on this. Uh, this was on the site, and it was by Swamp Dad, who... Obviously, if you um, you can't comment on the site unless you're a Stab Premium member. That's sort of like a premium benefit that we have. So thank you, Swamp Dad, for being a premium member and for these thoughts. So Swamp Dad said, I love these heavy water comps, but there's a major flaw in the judging. You have to screw up to get the score. McGillivray got a 10 because he botched the drop. Hogg's winning wave was because of an airdrop and that insane spit, but there were several other examples today. Meanwhile, Robbo just makes it look easy, and as a result, his skill turns nines into eights and tens into nines. Thoughts? 100,000% agree. Um, You know, it's one of those things like the commitment after a mistake is so brave and and how locked in Maddie McGivray and Hogg were. Um, way harder than just sliding in, but where do you reward that skill of precision takeoff? How, how do you quantify that in a number? Um, because man, what Robbo and John John and and all these top top level backside barrel riders do is just make it look way too easy. Um, where Robbo goes inside the tube is just inside the vortex. He couldn't be any deeper. And it's such a hard thing because Swamp Dad is 100% right, but I also don't think the judges are necessarily wrong because ultimately, like, Robbo's waves are beautiful and, like, the skill required to do them is so high. But at the same time, the waves that I'm most like, oh my god about are mats, are hogs. Like, those are the ones that surprise you and, you know, those surprising moments, I think, are where tens are really born. So I don't. Do you have any like solution to this? Because it definitely is a thing, but I, I don't know how I would fix it. No, I, I I definitely don't have a solution to it. And you're right. Like we haven't really. I guess we'll probably give Hog his own segment in a little bit. But like some of the drops and some of the sort of guess sketchy but very kind of in control send it nature that he was bringing was undeniable. So yeah, you can't penalize someone for then making a mistake and then recovering. Um, but, oh yeah, it's a, it's a very, uh, it's a very interesting one for sure. Um, I mean, in the women's event too, I think the highest scoring wave was a mistake. It was Carissa's wave in round one where she basically dropped in straight, lost her edge on the drop and then like pulled up under it last second and sort of forced her way in and ended up getting deeper as a result. Same thing with Brisa Hennessy's good wave in the semifinals, like, yeah, it's definitely a theme. For sure. And, and again, you've got to reward that, um, I guess, degree of difficulty, even though you made it difficult for yourself. <laughs> if you can recover from that, it's, it, it's good. 
<laughs> yeah, that's really a very mm. good point. Um, but no, you're right. But again, like Hogs wave, the airdrop spit thing, um, that that's the kind of shit that gets you up and out of your chair and yelling very loudly. Um, incredible tube ride. He would have been unable to see a thing. That would have been all feel. Uh, and it would have felt pretty awkward because his foot was like nowhere near the middle of his board. It was like hanging off to one side. And Matt McGillivray was like halfway underwater and somehow got his fins to reconnect. <laughs> he was like, his nose was basically touching the reef. <laughs> oh my God. He was like a yacht just sinking it in the bar. Um, so incredible. Like he, you know... It was like the Andy slide down the face, but just like obviously not as stylish uh, and sort of awe inspiring. But same same degree of kind of no fins in the water at all, um, all rail and nosedive, um, and just yeah, couldn't couldn't happen to a more deserving bloke. Like he's such a such a good character and what a, that's the right of your life right yeah there. that's what he said and speaking of deserving blokes we obviously um you know we gave some thoughts about hog being in the event last week and we basically said that while he is you know deserving from a passion standpoint and an ability standpoint out there it did seem weird that maybe they're giving the wild card to a 43 year old surf coach for the uh ceo or not the ceo but basically the owner of the world surf league um over just a local tahitian you know like a matahi drolet or whoever else but that said hog went out there and i wouldn't say he proved us wrong because we never thought that he was necessarily going to do badly in the event but he definitely made his presence felt he took out world number one and two and he could have gone a lot farther he just kind of made a bit of a mental mistake yeah in i think we were in agreement. like he was he would maximize his opportunities and i think he, he did that and beyond like he was one of the you know single highest scoring surfers of the whole event me you know, putting it right up there with the very very best um so yeah for him to lose with an 883 needing a very small score um i know he'd be stoked with how it all went but geez that'd just you know that oh geez, it yeah i know i needed a, a two or whatever against kayo and he had a lot of chances he was just either too deep or too far out in front of it so unfortunate for the hog but uh yeah still an incredible showing and definitely made the most out of that wild card opportunity so now um i guess we said it for the women let's say it for the men the final five in order of how they will surf it's Kanoe Igarashi versus Italo Ferreira. Winner of that will get Ethan Ewing. Winner of that will get Jack Rabo. And winner of that will get Felipe Toledo. So, uh, yeah, that's coming up in early September. I believe the start date is September 8th. And obviously, they just need one day to run. So, we'll be looking for a south swell in that general time zone. Yeah, absolutely. Um, stoked to see a quickie sticker in there going for a world title. It's uh, it's definitely been a while from my um memory so uh, there'll be a bit of a buzz around the office uh, however i was sad when griffin lost very very sad me too man and to give cronoa credit he freaking made that happen he needed a big score at the end of his last heat to get in and he did it like and he's talked about how jopo is a wave that basically terrifies him as it does you know most people but he put his head down on a really thick wave and got a, I think a 9.7, 
in the dying minutes of the heat. So again, he clutches up. He's done that throughout his career when it counts. But it was sad to see Griffin, who seemed way more like he just wanted to be there. And like he, in a way, I would say almost deserved it more. But hey, that's kind of, it's just how the cookie crumbles sometimes. It's surfing. You can't control all the variables and it's not always fair. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, again, you're right. I, they both deserve to be there, and especially the way that Kanoa did it. That was unbelievable. And, um, you know, to Griff's credit, he, he did everything he could as well. You know, he maximized his last opportunity. Just sort of the wave, I think, let him down a little bit. You know, he didn't make a mistake necessarily. Um, so, yeah, absolute heartbreaker. And as much as I wanted to see him there, the, the way that they've rejigged the points, they, they have really favored first. So with him having two firsts, if, if his other results weren't quite there enough to, to make the final five, then I know that he's probably got a couple of, you know, a couple of pretty hard learnings from that. But it's a pretty wide open, I think, that, that fifth spot. Um, and, you know, if you can't do it with two wins under your belt, then obviously he's going to have to work on his consistency coming into the next year. All right. Thank you, Stacy. So many interesting topics to get through on that competition. And yeah, it just really gets us excited for what's coming next, which is, of course, the WSL finals. That'll be in a couple weeks. So stay tuned. We're obviously going to be doing some previews about our predicted winners and everything else. So that'll be coming, you know, maybe next week, maybe the week after. We'll see. In the meantime, Buck and I are now going to sit down and chat about everything else that happened this week in surfing and Honestly, it was a pretty good week on the everyday news front as well. We have some really good stories to talk about, a great surf sin, and yeah, here we go. All right, Michael, how are you? I am doing great, Buckley. I got my first summer surf in a while on the East Coast yesterday. It was fun, chest high. I saw a photo you posted on Instagram. It looked very fun. (laughs) Yeah... Um, that might have been a bit of a, a uh, what do they call it? False no, flag? Like summer? <laughs> no, there is there is upwelling. I thought because that's what it does. There's upwelling. Yeah, a bit of upwelling. That's right. That's why I was the only one in my um, hood and boots. Nobody else could get out because they didn't realize how cold it was. So it was just me out there, just uh, trying to decide which way to go and perfect six foot peaks. And, you know, people often underestimate the power of upwelling. I feel. Yes, absolutely. So um, yeah, that's how I'm doing. How are you doing? I'm good. It's just been horribly windy here the past few days. Um, I've been surfing regardless, as I do. It's always weird. I feel like people just look at you funny, and I don't like that. I feel like when I come in, people are just kind of looking at you like, why were you in the ocean? Or you're going out, and people are just kind of looking at you like, why is that happening today? And you're like, just leave me alone. It's going to happen. It's going to last like five waves, maybe ten, and we'll all be on with our days. Are we talking about the sort of wind where it, like, the wind is creating the waves or the wind is just ripping through the actual ocean waves. Like, cause I feel like there's very different types of windy surf. It's, I mean, it can be both, but today it was mostly just windswell. Okay. Because windswell is actually really fun. If you, yeah. Cause it presents, you know, another puzzle that you need to solve basically. Cause you're not looking typically in windswell, you're not looking for like the, the biggest lump of water. You're looking for the lump of water that is going to like expand in a way and maybe even contract in a way that like gives you the most amount of push through like one section and then maybe connects to another section. So I feel like they're missing out. Yeah, I know. It's full of surprises out there. That's why I, I don't get it. I mean, yesterday was the day I really got some looks and there was some swell in the water and it was really annoying. Like it was a fight. 
Um, at one point, I just like came up from a duck dive and I was just covered in kelp. And there was another wave that was going to hit me in the head, and it was just like it was actually like pretty square, only like chest high. But still, when you're covered in kelp, you don't really want to duck dive a square chest high wave, and just not really pleasant. But hey, uh, weekend will be fun. I'm gonna go for the tarantula. Oh, the tarantula. That's uh, for anybody who doesn't read the misc. I believe that's five surfs in one day. Five, yeah, it's five. Yeah, we're eyeing up the tarantula. We got a power aid ready. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever done that in my life, to be honest. Um, so good luck. Thank you. I'll let you know how it goes. Let's get in the news. How surfers get paid, episode one. Oof, I don't even know how to explain this one. So we are going to have Stab's founder, Sam McIntosh, do it for us. And just a forewarning, this audio is not great. It was actually just a little phone conversation between Taylor Paul, our Stab Premium Director, and Sam, so that's why it sounds a little bit fuzzy. We're going to do our best, though, to get Sam to come onto the podcast soon, but until then, let's just hear his take on what How Surfers Get Paid is all about. All right, um, so besides what's obviously in the name, what is How Surfers Get Paid about? I guess the basic premise is how the landscape of being a pro surfer has changed over the past 10, 15 years. So the glory days of like the 2005 to 2010 and now there's just been so many elements that have changed it from the internet to the death of print magazines to social media to YouTube and it's just like it's a completely new game and it's just hard to navigate it's just so it's exploring all of those things is it even lucrative to be a pro surfer in 2022 like it's um COVID force majeure but force majeure is like such an odd thing to have in a contract that pretty much just wiped everyone's contracts or let them renegotiate um, when COVID hit. Just crazy things like that. Like on the backside of that, Billabong and Quicksilver being owned by the same company. It's like nothing to push salaries up anymore. So it's just an exploration into all of those stories from night coming to surfing to the energy drinks coming to surfing to the WSL or Zosi buying the ASP and then the W and then turning to WSL. It's just, there are so many little backstories that we had no idea about and just exploring those. Well, let's just put it this way. I, I'm not going to say names, but there was a top five surfer who got offered 800 grand back then and they declined it. Nowadays, People are begging for 150, <laughs> I believe. <laughs> so. Bobby. I had an opportunity to make $1.2 million a year, and I walked away from it. And they're like, well, we'll pay you 550 grand no matter what. But look, you can still make uh, $1.2 million. And it's like, nah, fuck that. I better just go on my own. I knew that money doesn't make anyone happy because the people who were paying me were a bunch of fucking idiots that I had to deal with. And they felt like they could control me because I didn't sign up for that. I wanted to surf and that was it. And then as I surfed and people give you these offers and you're like, oh, sure, I'll take it. But I wasn't striving for that. And then you start thinking, oh, and you get brainwashed by money and people always say, oh, fuck, you turn down this money. What are you doing? That's the first thought. You're an idiot. And I'm like, obviously, because you don't know. All right, so in my opinion, this is the most compelling thing Stab has put out. I'm going to say compelling is one thing, entertaining is different. 
uh, it's very entertaining too, but I feel like just Stab Highway, there's so much going on and it, I described that more as entertaining where this was just straight compelling. Like I could not stop looking at my screen and we don't want to give away too much. I mean, this thing will have just came out by the time you're listening to it. So I don't want to talk storylines. We'll talk about that in later episodes. But for now, I just got to say I was like glued to my screen this entire first episode. Yeah. Uh, the amount of things that you learn from this, like, so we are, we're in like the sort of, you know, say the 70th percentile, maybe 80th percentile of like knowing how things work in the surf industry just by way of being in and around it for, you know, five years. Sam McIntosh is probably in the 95th to 99th percentile of knowing how things work within the surf industry. I love these numbers. <laughs> I love and them. And yet he said that he basically learned like 80% of the topics that come up in this show, he learned about while producing this. So imagine what it's like for us, and then imagine what it's like for somebody who has no actual connection to the surf industry. Like, it is just, like, mind-blowing story after mind-blowing story. We're not going to give anything away, but just throw, like, a name out there. Just be vague. Tell me, like, one thing that you were most kind of caught off guard by or most just like, holy shit, when watching it. Like, just a name, and we'll kind of, maybe the audience will be able to relate once they watch it. Oh, Strider Wazalewski, 100%. Oh, I know. That part is incredible. It's it's. It's brief, but it's incredible. I think it's just one of those things where I feel like sometimes WSL commenters, a lot of them have such incredible personalities. Like even Peter Mel, we did that whole documentary on him last year, and it was it was great. Um, but when they're in that kind of WSL orbit, they just take on different personas, and they just I, I feel like people get a different understanding of them than maybe who they who they are and maybe forget their stories a little bit. So the Strider thing is incredible. And then Jordy too, just my God, how that thing opens. So go watch it in weeks to come. We'll, we'll break down more. We won't be vague, but we don't want to spoil anything. So get there, watch it. Um, keep listening. Maybe you'll have a surprise in terms of uh, how to watch it. God bless. And if you are a peasant who still doesn't have Stab Premium, I would suggest you keep listening. There may or may not be a discount code when we announce the surf sin um there there is there is so keep listening watch it it's incredible <laughs> airlines hate me bad boy rai rai's guide to surf travel so bad boy rai rai ryan miller he is one of the voices in the how surfers get paid episode one he breaks down the industry a bit and bad boy rai rai he doesn't sit in the back of the plane He's not, you're not going to rub elbows with him in economy class, folks. So this is a guide of his tips to basically fly first class, business class without paying for it. Basically just getting the airlines to hate you, fucking them over because they always try to fuck us over and just taking a little bit of the power back. And it's, uh, it's an insightful read. It is. It's a real win for the people. Although I will say there's a bit of a caveat and Ryan explains this in the piece, but there's really only two ways to sit up in the front of an airplane. The one way is to pay an exorbitant amount of cash. And the other way is to just fly really frequently and using these tips. So these tips, you know, they're, they're good to know for everybody, but they're especially useful for somebody who, whether in their job or in their life, they're flying often, which, you know, in our jobs, I would say we fly more than the average person for what we do. Um, but 
I cannot seem to get myself out of the mindset of just buying the cheapest ticket every time, even though I know that that's not like a good long-term strategy. Is that like, do you kind of have the same thing or do you try to follow some of these tips? No, I've done it before. I've gotten to a decent status when I was living in the U.S. And then even it helped a lot being in France because you fly Air France so much that it just, it was the option, you know? So, and I also think when I was at Quicksilver, they kind of preferred booking flights with Air France anyway. They might have had some deal worked out. So I I have. I haven't gotten to the point where you're getting upgraded to first class all the time, but I've gotten to the point where, like, you skip lines, it's free bags and stuff like that, even lounge access. But I've never been upgraded uh, on a first class. I've never sat first class in my life. Oh, me so, neither. Yeah. Okay, well, we need to reread this piece. Um, clearly, there are some steps that we've missed in here. And I think that, like, it, it's honestly just entertaining to me how emotionally charged Ryan Miller gets by maximi- maximizing his, like, profitability. Or, yeah, like, he, the trip to him, the, the airplane ride is, like, almost the most important part of the trip to him. Like, if he doesn't get that right, it's like the trip is a wash. And if he does get that right, everything else is just the cherry on top. Yeah, so that's why he's the guy to get advice from. One thing I want to call out, though, so this wasn't his idea. This was Ethan Davis's idea. And I found the timing of it to be a little bit interesting. Hear me out, Mikey. Let's rewind the clock a few weeks, a month, two months, whatever it was, when Homie gets to call up to be Mick's thin courier for the Maldives. He comes back from that trip and says, ooh, now I know that like some people travel the world nicely. He's staying at five-star places, hanging out with Mick, and all of a sudden he's too good for economy class, starts being like, oh, well, how do I sit first class like Mick? So, Ethan, I'm on to you. I see what you did here. I, I know where this idea came from, buddy. Yeah, he also recently grew a mustache. I'm not sure how that's connected, but I'm sure that it is somehow. It's got to be. It's got to be. So go read it. Um, go grow a mustache, and we will see you... You'll be in the front of the plane. Mike and I will be walking by uh, in economy, and we'll take one of the commenters' advice and just get drunk off the free wine and wake up feeling horrible in our destination. <laughs> Update. People are still surfing La Jetty in Reunion Island. So you know this wave. I know this wave. We all know this wave. It's that psycho right air wave from... You, know, you saw it in Modern Collective, you saw it in Jordy's movie, you saw Julian do some crazy stuff there. It's in, again, Ryan Miller's uh, best surfing I've ever seen. And Reunion Island had an awful string of fatal shark attacks. It got to the point where surfing is now illegal, but there are some workarounds. Like if you register with the town hall and you surf with the anti-shark device, you're able to skirt it. But basically this wave was like, I'd say 10 years ago was on the forefront of everybody's mind because, which was kind of weird because it was, it's not like a great wave. It's just a really good air wave. Um, and this clip showed us that people still just surf it. And I guess it, people have been surfing it all along. It's just got to a point where with all the shark attacks, people weren't really making the effort to go there because they thought they might get chomped. Yep. And I mean, this was a total surprise to me. Like, I just thought that Reunion was basically just, like, no surf zone except for those areas that were fenced off, you know. But it turns out, obviously, that people have been surfing this wave the whole time, which 
I guess makes sense that we haven't seen it that much because it's not really a good wave for, you know, or I mean, it's probably fun to surf and just do turns out there, but like the typical wind is just side shore straight into it. And if you're a pro surfer from Reunion Island, you probably haven't been living on Reunion Island for the last, you know, six to 10 years because it's just not really feasible to do that. So basically what I'm trying to say is this is like an airwave. And if you're not being a pro surfer, it makes sense that you wouldn't want to be like just surfing this crazy airwave all the time, right? Because there's no real like benefit to it. So yeah, this is the first time that we've actually seen it. We thought that Julian and Jordy were the last like sort of big name people to go there, but it turns out that Dylan Perillo and Brendan Gibbons went there in their Dylan Beach project. We forgot about that one. But yeah, honestly, um, Eli Bukes, Luke Slipton, two guys from South Africa recently went down there, put out an edit that is really strong. I was especially impressed by Eli. He, um, he kind of reminds me of like a, just the, his, you know, his style and his approach in the air. So he reminds me of like a South African Rasta Rob, just like fully sends himself and he's really stuck to his Ooh. board. Yeah. What a combination of words. Yeah. <laughs> Into it. So, um, if you haven't seen this edit, it's playing on our YouTube and on our site. It's free for everyone to watch. Um, it's made by, uh, Alan Vangesen and his crew at Now Now Media, they were kind enough to let us run it on our channels. Um, but yeah, it's cool. We do a little interview with Alan. He describes the sort of like history of the past 10 years, what's been going on there. And all this really makes me think is that we need to figure out a way to do stab high at this place. Yeah, well, I was going to ask, would you surf it personally? I mean, it's on the other side of the planet for you, but like if you're, if the option was presented to you fairly easily, maybe, you know, a business class ticket because you took Miller's advice, would you go or would you be nervous? I would be nervous and honestly not that much about the sharks i would be nervous about just getting hurt i tend to not be very good at airs and when i do do them i often get disconnected from my boards in ways that are extremely precarious so i would be more afraid of just getting hurt out there so i probably wouldn't want to even like tempt myself that much like if i was there i'd paddle out and i'd definitely err on the side of caution in terms of what sections i hit and i'd probably do it just to say that i did it but yeah, I don't think I'd have that much interest in it, mainly just because of the injury aspect, and I'm kind of past that point in my surf. Like, I just want to go surf really fun waves and do turns and get barreled. I don't really need to break myself off every time I paddle out. Yeah, I mean, I was going to use, for me, the just backside excuse, but then my my brain immediately flashed to Mitch Colburn and Craig Anderson in Modern Collective, and uh, Mitch especially in that. He went nuts. So... Not an excuse. I don't have one either. I guess I would, but I just hate going right. Um, if it was the left, I think I'd eat it up all day. It's but also, Ryan Miller said it's the farthest place he's ever traveled to in terms of number of flights that he had to get on to get there. So good for your airline points. Uh, probably not so good for your lower back. Mountains died so you could surf. This is another piece from Paul Evans where he just goes off on a random topic. This week it's sand. And it's a great read. We've actually got a voice note from him to help explain what he's done here. Evans here. I hate fish as a dinner and I hate anyone that eats it. (laughs) (laughs) So... I told him he could either leave a note about the story or or just share any message he wanted to share with the world, and um, he elected for option B. 
Wow, that is such a large portion of the population that he truly dislikes. Yeah, I, I, I'll have to follow up with him and ask him why, but I really, I don't like fish personally. I don't like the taste. Um, and on that reunion topic, I kind of like the idea of not really messing with that food chain. Maybe a little karmatic thing where I don't mess with that food chain. It doesn't mess with me. We kind of just, you know, let things be different. So, yeah, Paul, uh, fuck you if you eat fish, I guess, according to Paul. I know that some sand is, like, decayed fish, like, even, like, shellfish, just stuff that's been gnawed away at by, by the elements over the years. So, so fish died so we could surf. Yep, mountains and fish um, for dinner for some people. But, anyway, the piece really is a great read. I'm pretty confident that Paul could just sit down, open up a computer, and really have no plan and just spend maybe like three, four hours and just have a piece at the end of it. So we are both sandmen, as it were, hailing from the sandy shores of New Jersey. And now you live in Portugal. Have you become more of a reef man? You know, right up front, it's a mix of rock rock and sand, a little bit of reef, a little bit of sand. But there is a few reefs around here that I'm looking to get very familiar with. Um, I know some of them already, but once we start to get winter swells again, hopefully some clean winds, there's a few chunks of, of reef that I really want to get to know. If you could only surf one type of bottom for the rest of your life, what would it be? How could it not be sand? That's how I feel. But, how could it but not a Hawaiian be? would say a reef. Who wants to right? get thrown at rocks? You, you think? I don't know. I think sand just like loosens it up for everybody. It's more, there's no pressure. It's fun. It's like... Even if a wave's two times heavier, if it's over sand, you're like, oh, it's yeah. fine. It still might break your neck, but you're like, ah, it's... I think oh, um, Paul does a really good job of breaking different uh, ocean bottoms down into political categories. I guess that's how I'd explain it. And yeah, oh, yeah. He, you know, he nails it. Sand is a pure democracy. Like, it just evens the playing field. And anybody can go out on a given day, on a given beach break, and just be the person that's right on the peak on the best wave of the day. Like I was in that Instagram photo yesterday morning. Yeah, yeah. As he puts it, not perfect, but it's what we got. Oh, it's also worth noting that the best waves and the longest waves in the world are sand bottom. Ooh, that's good. I was thinking about that. I mean, the Superbank, obviously, they they control, but Skeleton Bay, no rocks there. No, 100%. That is the best wave in the world and probably, if not the longest, up there with the longest wave in the world. And it's because when, you know, sand can obviously be a million different things. It can change every single day of the week. But when sand is really good, it's the flattest, most uniform bottom that you can have. You know what I mean? Like a reef is always going to have a hole somewhere or it's going to end somewhere in a channel or whatever. But sand can just go on forever and ever and ever, and if it yeah, if it finds that perfect sort of gradient where you know it leans enough up and it's flat enough, then it's just going to create a wave that just goes forever and barrels. Yeah, I may have told this story on here before, but you mentioned we both grew up in New Jersey. So years ago, many years ago, when I was like fourteen, I'd left New Jersey before my friend hadn't, and we we're going to Puerto Rico. And I described to him what a boil was, um, just a boil on the surface of the water, which is really common anywhere where the bottom of the, the ocean floor is uneven. Uh, described to him a boil, and I said that it would suck you down and drown you if you go into it. Um, and, you know, we're, we're young, and Google doesn't exist. So 
this fucking guy was so afraid of boils the whole time. Like, and we told him they're called troths to make it funnier. And he would like talk to people in the lineups about him. He'd be like, oh, like, be careful. Like, I saw you almost under that trough. And they'd be like, what is this child saying to me? Um, you don't have that with sand. So there you uh, go. You kind of do. It's called quicksand. Okay. Yeah, but there's no quicksand when you surf. So it's fine. Um, and I just want to just add one little caveat to his whole story, which I can't believe he didn't bring up. But um, fuck squeaky sand. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It hurts. It hurts my insides like it 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 makes me feel really uncomfortable as like a human being yeah it's the worst thing in the world i don't know what sort of like elements combine to create squeaky sand but um yeah whatever fish had to die for that to happen i hope that they uh go extinct soon so we don't have to deal with it anymore what happens when you borrow a pro's board what happens when you borrow coco ho's board you lose her hat. You lose her hat. Yeah, that was my experience. And it was fairly traumatizing, actually. I was, that was like one of the most uncomfortable uh, feelings that I've had in a long time was losing Coco's hat to the Pacific Ocean. Um, uh, yeah, sorry, Coco. Were you really like, were you genuinely upset by it? I mean, I feel like she probably wouldn't care about a hat. No, she told me. She was like, don't lose this hat. Because just to give like further context. We're down in Mexico, this is last year, filming for the electric acid surfboard test. Meanwhile, I'm there filming for best board short, so I was just kind of like tacked onto this trip, whatever. One day, I'm testing the Volcom shorts, which have this sort of unique print on them, and Coco, being sponsored by Volcom, was given the hat as part of her like Mexican travel kit, you know, it's like a little bucket hat, it has the same exact print as the board shorts. So, Ryan Miller is down there, wow, this is all like crazy the connectivity of all these things ryan miller is down there um after having not flown first class i can say he's snapping away photos of mason and coco and then myself as well because i got tacked onto that trip he's shooting all the photos for best board shorts so i have this idea in my mind i'm like oh how great would it be to get a photo of like a matching kit while you're surfing you know like the board shorts the hat so i basically begged coco to let me use it and she was like, uh, okay, like hesitantly lets me use it, but she's like, don't lose it. And I was like, okay, yeah, no problem. Like it's two foot out here. Like the hat floats. I don't see how I could possibly lose it. So I go, I surf a few waves. I get the photo I was looking for. Ryan nails the shot. And then I just, I keep surfing because the waves are fun and why not? Um, and then I do, and then I do a floater. We've talked about floaters, Buckley. Um, most dangerous maneuver in surfing as everybody knows, to do a floater, two foot, close out, dumpy end section, fall off, lose the hat, and pop up, and it's nowhere to be seen. I do lots of strange hand-swirling movements under the water. I, I run up and down the beach. I get binoculars out, no hat in sight, hat's gone. But on the bright side, I also was riding Coco Ho's board, and it was amazing. This is the panda shriz we're talking about. She didn't really love it, to be honest, so she let me borrow this one with less hesitancy, and I just absolutely fell in love with the thing. I get home, I call up Blake Peters, head shaper of Panda, and I say, I need to do a joyride in one of these, and that's exactly what we did. Well, it looked fun. You took took a few surfs to figure it out after uh, old Mexico, but you got it in the end. Yeah, well, I, I mean, Blake made me a new version. I couldn't use Coco's, because that is like a relic now of East. Um, also after I lost my hat, she 
probably didn't want me to use any of her things again. So I got my own made and I told Blake, yeah, just make me the exact same dims as Coco's. I, I love that board. It was amazing. Don't change a thing. So naturally he sends me one that's a liter and a half bigger. And yep. And then I had to figure out how that was going to work out. So I, and I also wrote it in some waves that were a little bit trickier than what we had in Mexico. So yeah, I stumbled. First few sessions were very difficult as you'll see in the video and sort of finding my feet. But at the end we find sort of the perfect wave for this board and it really shows its true colors. So yeah, go give it a watch. It's playing live on the site right now. And just a reminder, with every joyride, we give a board away. Mikey always finds a creative way to to make a little challenge out of it, and you have to email him and tell him why you should win. So reminder, you can win this board, and if you do, try to lose one of your friend's belongings. Throw it in the ocean. Um, it'll be fun. They'll like you. Buck, do you have any stories of riding a pro's surfboard that you'd like to share? Um, I forget whose board it was, but... I remember, <laughs> uh, I remember when I was at Quicksilver, I was on somebody's board, trying a board, and I, but I remember I, I ran into, of all people, I was just surfing Diva, I was at the Quick Pro, and it was a, a CT down on the Gold Coast, and Stab was doing a big thing there, I wasn't full-time at Stab at the time, but I knew the guys, and we were friendly, and I happened to just run into Tom Bird on like this shitty day at Diva, and I just got a quick sticker on my nose. And like I think he just the look he gave me of being like, "Oh, so you're you're that guy now, huh? Like you're the guy who works at a surf company and just goes logo <laughs> on the nose." And I was like trying to explain to him that that wasn't the case, and he wasn't believing it really, or either that or he wanted to just fuck with me more and just like make me keep squirming about it. But he's just like nodding his head like, "Huh, okay," and I just. That's the first thing that comes to mind, really. It was, uh, it sucked. That's amazing. I love that. That reminds me of some of the surf sins that we've given out uh, over the years. So, um, yeah, that's a wonderful story. Also, I wanted to let you know that uh, I know that I've been seemingly avoiding this, but it's just that I haven't filmed any oh. joyrides recently. But I'm okay. about to go do some more joyride testing in the next month or two. So, um, yeah, I'm going to have to find a way to fit that claim in. And it, again, it still probably won't come out until like 2023, just with all the joyrides that we have already filmed and stacked up. But yeah, maybe late 2022, early 2023, we, we could see an unholy potato claim on the IG. Yep. Just a reminder, folks, Mikey confessed a sin on here once. I believe it was you missed like a, a chance to surf lowers by yourself all day at that like board riders thing to go to like some bitcoin golf conference or something um and my penance was that he had to claim a wave and post it on stab's instagram so that's coming it just might be another four or five six months out so stay tuned there anyway in the spirit of connectivity or continuance which is uh now i guess they just call continuance lost tapes if you wsl but Let's get right into the surf sin. Right into the surf sin, maybe not. First, let's talk about that code that I mentioned earlier when we were talking about how servers get paid. So we had a sinner reach out in the past week and confess that they had not subscribed to Stab Premium. And he suspected that maybe there's a good chunk of the audience who listens every week and just still hasn't pulled the trigger. And so he suggested that we make a code exclusive for the listeners and you know what? 
that's what we're doing. So 20% off. If you go, just create an account like normal, click a piece that's premium, go through the sign up process and enter the code drop wallets. That's plural and no caps drop wallets. And if you need me to spell wallet, you don't deserve 20% off. And, and one word. Yeah. One word drop wallets. Like I said, I'm not spelling it because if you get it wrong, then you don't deserve it. So if you've been sinning, that's your way to heal. Obviously, this discount code is great for you guys. You get to save some money on a Stab Premium membership, but it's also a great way to support the podcast indirectly as well because if we start getting people using these discount codes, it shows that the podcast is a valuable resource for Stab to get new members. And when our bosses see that, they think, oh, great, let's keep putting you know time and effort and money into this, and that's what's going to allow us to keep making podcasts on a weekly basis. So if you are a fan of the podcast, if you like listening to it weekly, just think about it, you know, uh, using that discount code. Good for you. Good for us. Good for everybody. Yep. And while we're here, just shout out to our other sponsor, the Chinese Communist Party. They have a, a new uh, sports themed CBD brand coming out. So keep an eye out for that. We'll be talking about it here on the pod. But in the meantime, there's NFTs involved as well. So yeah, stay tuned for that. But uh, there's your code. Drop wallets. Go subscribe. Now it's time for the surf sin. All right, I've been sitting on this one for a while, and last week's surf sin got me thinking about it. Um, so this is Patrick from Ocean City, Maryland, and uh, this one day, probably about 10 or 12 years ago, I took my one buddy out from skating to come surf i convinced him to come out with me put the wetsuit on it was a nice fall day four to five foot uh east coast and we found this sick sandbar that was kind of shallow for the day it was only near so deep and we we go through the whole thing i'm getting him amped i'm trying to tell him what to do and this was he was new like super green with surfing and um so it's time to go out i'm staying with him kind of right near him to help him get out just so that he didn't, you know, get get pushed back or whatever, have an issue just paddling out. And we're walking out on this sandbar, and it's time to, to paddle to get out into the lineup. And um, a set comes, and it was a bigger one. And I look back at him, and I said, Jesse, get off your board and dive down. So I duck dive, I come up. And he did not do that at all. And it looked like he was freaking hanging from a cliff, scratching his way to try to, like, save his own life. But this five-foot wave, which was barreling offshore this day, was just had other plans. And what just basically WWE bombed him straight into knee-deep water and i'm i'm laughing but i'm i'm trying so hard to make sure my friend's okay he stands up and at the time he had real long hair he looked like the girl from the ring he just starts making the craziest guttural noises (gasps) help he starts screaming help he starts screaming help and i'm like Jesse, dude, you're in knee-deep water. Walk in. And it just you just saw him kind of snap back to life. 
And he's, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm literally standing in kiddie pool deep water. And he walked in, and I'm, I'm like, embarrassed for my friend that I just brought out. And I'm, like, worried about him. How bad did he just get slammed? But in the back of my head, I'm, I'm dying laughing. So I stay out for an hour or so. It was so fun. And he's just sitting on the beach, still in his weddy, playing in sand and just like just messing around and I went and checked on him and he he didn't want to try to come back out and I ended up going back out for like another hour and um he's never tried to get back out again and uh I must have told this story a hundred times at his expense and um I don't know boys what do you got for me all right, so we've been doing surf sins for long enough that I'm starting to identify themes, right? Like this is this is falls into a certain category of sin, which is kind of taking somebody out in conditions where they shouldn't really be in, right? You know, that's a theme. There's kind of like the theft theme where like, you know, the guy stole the longboard or the guy just, <laughs> one of my favorites, the guy who stole that leash. <laughs> I mean, some people throw, really throw us through loops with, like, you know, stickering up boards and stuff. I don't really know what that is. That's just creative, I guess. But uh, this is a theme, and it's still a sin, so if you have a good story around it, always confess. But a theme. What do you got on this one, Yeah, Mikey? so on that theme, I just want to kind of, like, keep it consistent. So, you know, he said that his friend was a skater. Yeah, Snowbro. I think he was what... A sno- he said a yeah, Snowbro. Snowbro. Snowbro skater, yeah. So I think that this guy has to go to the skate park with his friend and drop in on an eight-foot minimum vert ramp because your friend was scared for his life when he was sitting there in that waist-deep water and a three-foot double-up was coming for his head. I don't think that the average, you know, I'd say the average surfer uh, knows a little bit of skating, you know, can maybe do some ollies and 180s, shove maybe a kickflip or something, and they've probably skated, you know, mini ramps and a bowl in their past, but this guy, he's probably in his 20s or 30s or so, and I can imagine that standing on top of an eight-foot vert ramp and looking down that thing at that age and probably having not skated in a long time is probably the equivalent level of fear that your friend felt in the impact zone. I like that a lot. I was looking at it through a similar lens, which is pretty much just taking him out of his comfort zone. Um, I was going to recommend, I like that you focus on the friend because they they are still friends. He says he brings up the story all the time. Um, I was broadening it a little bit, and uh, I just was going to say any kind of place in general that you're out of your comfort zone, it's a little bit, uh, it's very foreign to you, a little bit new. Um, I was going to focus on places of worship. So, you know, maybe it's a Catholic church, maybe it's a mosque. I don't really know. Just somewhere where you haven't really been before, and you can go and you could. A lot of those places, everybody's wonderful. They are usually want to convert you, so they're happy to, you know, treat you to a nice service. So maybe go there, and after you uh, break your wrist on the <laughs> ramp, God heals all. But a stab premium membership is the real salvation. I would say here, a hundred percent. Go subscribe.
Thank you, Buckley. And as always, if you have a surf sin, you can send it directly to michael at stabmag.com or buck at stabmag.com. We're working our way through them. The goal is to get to all of them because we want to heal you guys. Uh, that's pretty much it for this episode of The Drop. We'll be coming back next week, especially if you guys use that code DROPWALLETS to get a Stab Premium membership. And until then, over and out.